So before this episode starts, I just want to make a little note that I did stumble my words over a little bit. In the process of editing, I noticed that there was a couple times when I said that Melvin retaliated against the Columbia Pictures to make uh, Sweet Sweet Back. Um, that's not exactly true. He had tried to get funding from them, but he couldn't, so he made this film independently. Um, that's what I meant to say, but the words didn't come out correctly. So just heads up when you hear that, that's what I meant, and I just wanted to clarify that up front. So that's all I got to say. Enjoy the episode. Ladies and gentlemen, the bloodiest thing that ever happened in front of a camera. Before I go into today's movie, I should probably mention that the show is available on both Spotify and YouTube, and I believe it's available on Stitcher as well. I'm not exactly sure. I signed up for it, but I wasn't exactly sure if it went through or not. But either way, you have options to watch it, and if there's another way you want to watch it, just let me know and I'll see what I can do. Um, but for today's film, I'm going to be talking about Sweet Sweetback's Badass Song, directed and starring Melvin Van Peebles from 1971. And before I get into the film, I kind of want to just mention um, a funny story I like to tell in regards to the film. So um, there was a time where I went to go see this film at the cinema. Uh, it was when, around the time, the Vinegar Syndrome Blu-ray came out and the new restoration had been complete. And I went there, having already seen the film a couple times. And so I sit down, you know, uh, ready to watch it. And there's a guy that sits next to me. And I think we're making small talk, whatever. I don't exactly remember. But either way, at some point I asked him, had you seen this film before? And he said no. Um, so the opening happens. And, uh, well, the famous opening with Mario Van Peebles on top of a naked woman. And cut, cut to the uh, opening credits. And I remember the guy looking over. I looked over at the guy. And he was laughing with his face in his hands. Uh, fully unaware of what he was about to watch. And when it was over, I looked at him and I said, well, what do you think? And he was just like, I don't know. <laughs> and that kind of sums up the film. So I'm going to be talking about one of my favorite films uh, for Black History Month. Uh, like I said, from 1971, Sweet Sweetback's Badass Song. fairy godmother why didn't you know that all good dates had fairy godmothers So I'm going to be talking about a film that I really do love a lot, Sweet Sweetback's Badass Song, a film that you either love it, you either hate it, but um, it's hard to deny its place in film history and in black history as well, black entertainment that is. And before I even start talking about the film, I really want to give a big shout out to the Michaud Mission. They're a podcast and they are intending on reviewing every black film ever. Um, and they did a really phenomenal episode on this show where you had, they have both the hosts on the show, one of them uh, who loves the film or respects the film a lot, and the other host who thinks the film is not only bad, but thinks it's horrible. Um, and they have a really funny and interesting discussion back and forth um, 
now right up front, I love the film, but the host who thought the film was horrible, I can't um, fault him for any of his complaints, and I even found myself agreeing with him at times. And I, I just thought, you know, for the amount of shows that are out there, um, I think uh, these guys are just so funny and interesting and entertaining, and they provide they have such a good back and forth that I really want to give a shout out to them. Not just for that episode, which you should, should definitely listen to. They're both smarter than me, but um, you know, I listen to a handful of other episodes there, and they've quickly become one of my favorite podcasts. These guys are great, and you should really check them out. But today, I'm here to talk about what I said before: "Sweet Sweetback's Badass Song." So um, this is not gonna. I'm not gonna really spoil the film. So if you haven't seen the film, don't worry. Um, even though it's a little tricky to spoil, but I would say that if you haven't seen the film, you should still listen to it because I'm, I'm going to mention some quote-unquote spoilers, but it's not exactly a film based on the narrative, based on the plot precisely, more so about the experience of the film. And uh, kind of what I want to talk about is why I love the film, why, you know, it might be kind of perplexing others. And I'm going to talk a little bit about the film Badass from 2003, directed by Mario Van Peebles, about the making of this film. Um, but this is a film that... Um, I think it's, when you look at the history of black exploitation films or black cinema, um, this film is pretty much widely regarded as the, f the first black exploitation film. Now that's kind of up for debate, really. I think that's more of a general kind of consensus. You can look at films like Cotton Comes to Harlem or Tick, 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 films that came before it that whether or not you want to consider them black exploitation, I really don't know. I feel like that, that, um kind of moniker is a little vague and even now um whether or not films now are black exploitation i really don't know sometimes i see films now that are predominantly black or have a predominantly black cast and i i hear them categorized as black exploitation um and i don't really know if i would classify it as that that's i'm not an expert on black exploitation films i'm just a fan for whatever reason i just really enjoy a lot of these films and um I don't really know if they're made the same way now because what the thing with Sweet Sweetback is that for better or for worse, it kind of paved the way for a lot of these really low-budget, uh, independent kind of films that would come along after the fact. Um, uh, Melvin really showed that after the success of a, of a big mainstream hit like The Watermelon Man for... I believe it was Columbia Pictures. I might be wrong about that. Um, which, The Watermelon Man, I think, is a really funny film as well. Winner and still undefeated, folks. Pay some respectful homage, please. Fair, please. Arrogant, arrogant. They're all arrogant. In the good old days, back in the old South, you'd have to drive from back here. <laughs> Get it? Back of the bus? very good it is about a uh, about an uppity kind of white guy who wakes up one day and finds out that he's black and starts to learn about the um the problems that he faces with but it's still a comedy as well so you have the actual social statement of it but you also have a lot of comedy you have a lot of funny situations like there's a really great gag about him uh not being able to make the bus and everybody on the bus is intentional leaving him behind it's a really good film i don't I, to my knowledge i don't believe that melvin was exactly happy with the final product of that film which is why after uh that film he was given a three-picture deal with Columbia uh, to make another film, and he instead opted to make this film about um, just you know one of what he considered like his own, like not, not you know not a figure of authority, not like a big um, just just like a regular kind of guy who gets himself into the situation, which leads me to uh, I should probably explain the plot of this film. So basically, we have Melvin Van Peebles as the star of the film, Sweetback, and um, he's taken in at a, at a young age when he's twelve or thirteen, and 
from there, he's kind of known for his gift. His gift being is really good with his penis. And um, so at one point, he uh, seemingly has a deal with some white cops who uh, they want to frame this other black guy, but they're really beating up on him bad. And Sweetback has basically had enough. So he ends up killing both the cops. And then from there, Sweetback's on the run. He runs into different members of the community that end up uh, helping him out, as well as going cutting back to the cops who are on the look for him. And that's really the main plot. But I think the thing with this film that really divides people is that... Above all else, when you look at a film like this and you look at exactly the history of black cinema and black exploitation films, it's not exactly like I, I think there's a lot of films that people jump to immediately. Um, probably the bigger examples of black exploitation films, and I really hate to even use that term for a film like this because it's not, it's not, it's not like other films that would come later. You know, I mean. It's not like Shaft, Superfly, Foxy Brown, Coffee, Cleopatra Jones. All good films, but this is really a breed of its own. I really look at this film above being uh, just uh, 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 the, the the first black exploitation film, or one of the first, depending on whichever way you want to go. I really look at this more as an art house experimental film. The um, title of the film is Sweet Sweetback's Badass Song. What What's a sweetback? Well, a sweetback man is um, a stud or a pimp who's somebody who um, who balls the chick um, well. Hmm. And um, if you do it correctly, I'm sure you know, uh, <laughs> you use your back. Yeah. And so... Um, Subsequently, you, sweet sweetback. You got a sweet sweetback. And I know art house is kind of a very loose term. Even I don't really quite understand what exactly that categorizes that, if it's just a non-linear kind of film. But with this film, I look at it more, like I said, as an experimental film first with a big social message. Um, and one of the podcasts I was mentioning before, um, they brought up a very good point, which I think not only goes for this film, but for a, a lot of films that may have had a reputation later, is how much of it was exactly intentional when the film was made. Um, how much of this was Melvin Van Peebles trying to say at the time, or was he just trying to make this wild experimental film? And I think kind of both, honestly. I think... That that after the disillusion of the studio system from Columbia, from, you know, them wanting to make probably him probably want to make another silly comedy or whatever. Well, not a silly comedy. I don't want to degrade it. The Watermelon Man like that. But I'm talking about more just a traditional uh, mainstream commercial film like this. Um, in retaliation, he made this um, independent kind of hard to gauge film. I'll admit the first time that I saw this film, I really didn't know what to make of it. I... Um, really didn't have a, an opinion on it regard like any any which way I didn't think it was good or bad it was just there and I knew it had a big reputation um but I didn't really exactly get it I should say so on the second viewing when I watched it again knowing that I was going to watch a very experimental non-linear story um I was able to get to really gauge it better as a film overall because the film when I say experimental it's very non-linear where we have the beginning of the film uh right at the beginning when you have Sweetback, which cuts to later in the film of him running, uh, and then it cuts back to when he's a kid and all that. And right then it says that this film is dedicated to, um, I forgot exactly what it says, to the brothers and the sisters against the man or something like that. So um, the way he tells the story right off the bat, it's a little like, what? We're going back and forth now? And then you have the opening of the film, the controversial opening, admittedly, where you have um, the young Mario Van Peebles, obviously son of Melvin, who I think was 12, 13 at the time, and he's fully naked up against a fully naked woman. I mean, there is no trick photography here. There's obviously no action happening because, for obvious reasons, but 
regardless, there's a small child against a, a naked woman. And I've heard some uh, valid criticism against that. And even the podcast I was listening to, the host who th- thought it was horrible, she, that was saying that Melvin belongs in jail, this and that. And w- the way that Mario recounts it, it's interesting. I'm going to get more into the film Badass later, and I'll talk about that more after the fact, about how Mario felt as a young kid during that sequence. Now, the supporters claim that the opening scene who shows Van Peebles as a little boy uh, uh, in sex relations with a prostitute is a scene which is tender and loving and which shows uh, how black men are initiated into manhood through sex. Well, that's a lot of hogwash. There's a lot of pure pure bullcrap. There is no such thing. Uh, There's nothing in the black tradition any place in Africa uh, or in America or throughout the Western world or any other place on this globe that proves that black people have ever used sex to initiate their men or their women either into manhood or womanhood. There's no such thing. It's just absolutely not provable based on the black experience. Uh, what annoys me about what people have said about it, we know perfectly, Tony, you and I know damn well that there are guys who have, who have had sexual encounters at 13, at 12, at 11, and speak very proudly of it. You know, it's a, it's a badge of honor. But the fact that someone confronts that particular reality in a film suddenly causes us to become, as Larry Neal said recently, the new Puritans. Uh, or the new Victorian. Sex is a fact of life, man. We know that. And people who look at that film, I'm sure many people saw themselves. I know, as in, in fact, one, uh, one brother I talked to about the film only the week before had been telling me in a completely different context that he at eight had had his first sexual experience. He was very proud of that. But he was outraged that Melvin Van Peebles should show in a film a boy doing precisely the thing that he was so proud of only seven days before. The way I look at it, and I'm not exactly, I'm not excusing what happened in that sequence, because obviously it's weird to watch it now, it's uncomfortable to watch it now, the same way that I watch a film like Apocalypse Now, or The Wild Bunch, uh, that has real animal cruelty, where I watch it and I go, ooh, I don't know about that, but I have to understand the time it was made, where even at the time, you know, those films were crit- were criticized for their animal cruelty, or even a film like Cockfighter by Monty Hellman, um, you know, with Warren Oates, where you have real cockfighting in that film. So it's sort of like, even at the time, they knew it was bad, but it was still more acceptable to get away with that sort of thing. And I'm not excusing the film for that. Obviously, I don't believe Melvin should have done that to his kid. It was wrong, and hearing how Mario describes it, how he was kind of threatened to do it, or else he was going to take his bike away, I don't agree with that, you know, Melvin, he shouldn't have done that. I mean, if he wanted to do that, he should have done it in a way where there was no contact amongst the two. But at the same time, you do have to remember reviewing this from a 2022 perspective. This is 1971, and I really do think that just things were different back then. Even if they weren't acceptable back then, what you could show on film. I mean, look at a film like Sweet Movie, for example. I don't exactly remember what year that was. I believe, uh, gosh, 74? I might, I might be wrong about that. But a film like Sweet Movie, where you have the whole sequence on the boat, where you have a fully naked woman who, I mean, there's no trick photography there, but she's up against these young kids. And... Um, it's uncomfortable to watch, but you have to watch through that lens, you know, where you are geographically, geographically in the world, I should say, and also um, what passes for films like then. Because um, uh, talking about badass, I'm going to jump ahead a little bit, but when they address that in the film, they kind of go on um, Mario's uncomfortable, you know, how uncomfortable he was, 
and um, their, his mom's reaction, but also the reaction from the audience as well is kind of like, I don't think Melvin meant anything uh, sinister. It was just about a rite of passage as like, a, a you know, becoming a man. And I just think that sentiments were different. So I don't think the film should be held against it in that regard, much the same way I don't believe that, you know, Apocalypse Now or The Wild Bunch should be held in that regard or Cockfighter for the real animal cruelty. You know, unfortunately, it really is just a symptom of the time. And I don't believe in censorship because we should learn from these mistakes and learn that now uh, we should shouldn't do that and and which goes without saying obviously you go of course you shouldn't do that but you know it's not always of course sometimes it's like that um the film has a very repetitive nature to it 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 goes into a lot of times it it repeats a lot of dialogue and a lot of scenes and sweet sweetback doesn't have a lot of dialogue in the film he only has a couple lines but a lot of the dialogue from the characters and a lot of shots are repeated um I mean, the criticism is valid of there's, you know, you see Sweetback running a lot. I mean, halfway through the film, the plot pretty much stops. Uh, it, it really is a lot of shots of him running, and we see that. Um, but in a way that I think makes sense to maybe the, the, the social aspect of the film. Again, I can't speak for Melvin. Um, recently passed away, I should probably mention R.I.P. at the time of this recording. is recently passed away. But there's a lot of reputation in that. Um, kind of like... Uh, maybe how black people felt that, you know, and probably still feel about, you know, maybe the, the police kind of getting them and, and, and targeting them because they're black, you know, the reputation of that. I don't know if that's his intention or not. I'm not going to speak for him. I'm watching this solely as a viewer in 2021, uh, 2022, I apologize. And that's what I got from it. And as well as that, there's a lot of lines repeated. There's a lot of shots repeated. Um, there's a, there's a neon sign of Jesus saves that's popped up a lot throughout the film. And I don't exactly know what he's going for there besides the obvious, you know. Um, but uh, it's, it's interesting, the fact that the first two times, I just thought, okay, maybe he's recycling a shot or something. Um, but then later, when it keeps appearing on and on, it's very interesting. Uh, which I, I, don't know, I, I find that, the, the, that he distinctly, even later in the film, even when he's, to my knowledge, away from the city, uh, that... that neon sign still kind of pops up here and there and i like really i really like the film as well the progression of the story that kind of goes from the city to the urban parts to ultimately a, like the desert because um i think melvin described this at one point as a ghetto western and not solely because of the wet uh, the um the desert parts of the film but i think he's kind of right about this i think i really do believe this is a ghetto western much in the same way that a film like zachariah is an electric western i don't know if i would exactly classify this as a western for sure I think it's more about in kind of storytelling, um, whereas Zachariah is more of a traditional Western with those aspects to it. But really, it's this one man kind of against up against the law enforcement of the film. I mean, granted, you, you know, you, you have these Westerns where it is the sheriff or you have the law enforcement against this guy. But if you, you know, kind of invert it then you really have this solid man-on-the-run kind of movie. Um, when I was talking before a lot of the repetition, one of the things that I have to really uh, mention of the film is the soundtrack, which was um, done by Earth, Wind, and Fire, but to my knowledge, composed by Melvin. There's not a lot of soundtrack to the film. It's a lot of sound beats repeated again and again, but going back to the repetition of before of a lot of the shots of, of um, Sweetback running and um, a lot of lines repeated, a lot of scenes repeated, I really love the soundtrack of the film. It's very um, memorable 
and catchy. And uh, I, I read a thing where somebody had a really good comparison where they com- they compared the soundtrack along with the film to an instrumental kind of jazz soundtrack where um, there's a lot of times in the soundtrack where Melvin will just say, will just start talking over the, you know, not exactly, not exactly singing, but start talking over the, the music. Come on, feet. Cruise with me. Trouble ain't no place to be. Come on, feet. Do your thing. Come on, feet. Do your thing. You all know why these games. Come on, legs. Come on, run. Come on, legs. Come on, run. Guilty is what he say you done. Come on, knees. Don't be mean. And then you have a lot of lines repeated, and the film uh, kind of has that sort of loose um, kind of freestyle aspect where you have a lot of scenes that just kind of uh, go into each other, like with without any sort of. Um, I don't want to say direction because that, that might sound backhanded, but all, but in a way, more of an experimental way where the scenes don't exactly, they don't connect ABC, but they connect more of a jazz way where it's very fluid into one another, which leads me into another point that I wanted to mention was the editing of the film. Um, the editing was something that really stuck out this time. This was my fourth time, I believe, seeing this, fourth or fifth time. It's been a couple years, but... Uh, the editing of this film really stuck out for me. There's often times where the editing is very choppy and uh, a lot of scenes don't directly correlate with each other. Not exactly for transitional scenes, like let's say you're just moving from one to another, but in the same um, room. Let's say a character is talking, you have an A-B camera, uh, or I guess in this case maybe just an A camera, and it cuts and the A camera is not even, it's in, a, it's in like a different timeline of the scene so let's say you have two characters having a conversation you know back and forth and in that conversation this is just a general example i'm not speaking for i'm not speaking for the film but you have two characters having a conversation and at some point during the conversation they both get up and go to the kitchen okay whatever so you have the characters talking and in the middle of the conversation it will cut to them in the kitchen whereas you would have the conversation the whole conversation and then it would cut to the kitchen i don't know if i exactly explained that well but it's exactly but it's not exactly straight linear and I noticed that very early on in the film with some of the sound editing. Um, there's some scenes early on where uh, Sweetback and he's having sex and um, everybody's applauding. And the applause, the audio of it goes directly into the next scene. And it was an interesting way because it doesn't just, you know, it's not solely just a transition. It feels very um, loose in that way where you, you would have audio go over. It feels kind of like very loose editing and a very loose narrative. Uh, you have moments where you have uh, th- th- there's times where they freeze frame a shot and they put a shot behind it so you're still on shot A but shot B is still going and it overall it makes for a very interesting experience um, this is a film that I think uh, benefits a lot from being seen in a cinema with an audience um, if you watch it on your own I don't know how strongly one would feel about it but I think watching it with an audience will definitely they will either love it or hate it but I think because it's so surreal and odd and oftentimes, you know, doesn't, 
I won't exactly doesn't won't say it doesn't exactly make sense, but because it is so loose in that way that you can often find it. If you're looking for an ABC narrative, you might find yourself struggling to find that. And with the film, I don't think you should find that. I think if you watch this first as an experimental film with that knowledge going in and as a big influence on a lot of about the next decade of films to come for black cinema, uh, specifically black exploitation cinema, then I think you're in for something really um, special because the film has a very hypnotic quality. Where's Sweetback? Where is he? Where's Where is Sweetback? I don't know where's Sweetback. Where's Sweetback? Come on, boy! <laughs> I don't know where Sweetback is. Come on, boy, talk. Where's Sweetback? Where's Sweetback? He must be dead. If he isn't, he's gonna be. Look at me. Where's Sweetback? I don't know where he is. Where is he? I don't know where Sweetback is. I don't know where Sweetback is. Come on. You know Sweetback. Where's Sweetback? I don't know where Sweetback is. Tell me. Where's he at? Where's Sweetback? Where's Sweetback? I don't know where he is. I haven't seen Sweetback. Come on, boy. Sweetback! You only got one good ear left, boy. You want to save it? You want to talk? <laughs> this guy is talking. And at a certain point, you really don't even feel like you're in the real world. Another thing that I really wanted to bring up in the film, intentional or not, is that it's the, the casting of this film, the characters that... Melvin gets it's, when he says that this film stars the community. It really it's not just down and out black people. What I love that Melvin does with the film, it's really the underprivileged and it's the underrepresented people. Because you look at the characters in this film, you have black, white, straight, gay. You have um, good, bad. You have the church. You know, and I think in the podcast they had mentioned a really good point about this was a film that's not just it's not just black versus white. You see all different kinds of people in this film who feel like they've been wronged at some point. And you have like, even early on, you have a film, you have like a gay, you have a gay character who is like, the, you know, they say the dyke fairy godmother, but it's, it's treated humorously, but it's not like laughing at that character. It's not like, oh, look how strange this guy is. It's really just like, this is one of our people. Even in the scenes early on, when you have the people in the brothel, you have everybody there and it doesn't have to put it, it doesn't have to show off of look how, look how we have everyone. It's really just kind of natural. These people who have always felt like they were not part of the normal uh, uh, class, I guess, if you will. Um, all his women are degraded whores uh, whose only role is to satiate his desire for ego gratification and for sexual satisfaction. The assumption or, or the, the statement has been made that the woman, the black woman appears in the film only as a prostitute. And I'd go back to what I talked about before, what we spoke about before, and I said that we have to start to deal with some new terminology, and we have to get away from terms like prostitution or pornography or obscenity or degradation, because those are, those are terms that are used by people who oppress black people to describe certain conditions that certainly, and, and, and certainly shouldn't be used to describe a black condition. If a woman, uh, first of all, prostitution, is the exchange of sexual favors for money. Now that never happens in Sweetback. There is never any instance where a woman is selling herself to anybody. We don't see that happen. We make the assumption, incidentally, that the women who appear in the beginning of the film are prostitutes. It's never stated that they are. It's a group of women feeding a little boy. But everyone jumps to the conclusion that simply because they're in housecoats or in bathrobes, 
uh, that they're prostitutes, you know, because they're home in the daytime. Does that mean that the black woman who's not uh, pursuing a master's degree in sociology is a prostitute? Does that mean that a woman who's not casting bullets for the revolution is a prostitute? Or a woman who is not married to, uh, you know, to the 28th nigger vice president of uh, some uh, advertising firm is a prostitute? It means simply that you have women who do different kinds of things in order to survive. And I don't want to say normal as if, like, not normal, but you know what I'm saying. It's sort of, like, not generally accepted. So you have this these outsider misfits who are coming together who, when Sweetback finds these people, they're able to help him. But he's still noble along the way. He's still on their side. So there's that part where he has a chance to get away on a motorcycle, and he and there's another character who is horribly injured, and he decides, no, you know, you take him, I'll, I'll find my way, or whatever he says. I don't even think he says anything he just says take him um and i think that's why this film is a, a big step above the rest of just a good black exploitation film because number one i don't think it should be categorized as just a black exploitation film as if it's something less but two i think besides just really wanting to say something um aside from making a cheap buck uh you know not to make a cheap buck i should say the film really is i think melvin is such a unique artist and i have to really respect him for he had this deal with columbia pictures to make these three films and he could have made another watermelon man and i'm sure it probably would have been very good um but he decided to do his own thing and make his own thing and stand by his art which is a, something that i really got by from the badass film of a, of a, of a person who is not willing to sacrifice it even when they probably should and would probably be smart to. I mean, in on in all honesty, I think Melvin probably should have. What may have been smarter is if he had taken the deal, used that money to film to, to fund his independent film. Because how many times you see filmmakers they say one for me, one for them, where they're able to make, you know, even look at a legend like Scorsese. He makes a film like The Wolf of Wall Street, which is a phenomenal film, which you know, which is a very um, uh, mainstream. Uh, a, a studio film that can appeal to a wide audience, but still being a Scorsese film. Then he makes a film like Silence, following up that, and which is a bit more inaccessible, um, where he is, he is making a film that means something to him, and he and he knows that probably will not make the money that he. It'll probably lose money. It probably won't be a success, but to him, it will. It, it is a personal film and probably that's what Melvin should have done. I really don't know. But the fact is that he was so adamant on his vision of the film and wanting the representation in cinema when he was seeing that a lot of black people and a lot of um, minority groups are being played off as the maids or the butlers in films or the butt of the joke or you have a white actor playing a, a minority character. And, you know, it's really hard not to respect that. Regardless if you even like the film, I won't deny anybody who doesn't like the film. That's totally here nor there. Um, I totally get it. You know, I love the film, but if I showed this some, to somebody and they said that film was horrible, I'd go, you know what? You're probably right. The film probably is horrible, but I don't think it's horrible. I don't think it's, a, I think it's well made. I think it's an interesting um, nightmare uh, at times. It, it's got these very surreal video effects that, uh, well, maybe not video effects, that's not the right word, but like these very, they use as, um, I don't exactly know what the terminology is, but these very kind of strange um, neon colors here and there when he's running, and kind of like 2001, at the end, and he had all those like crazy kind of, of uh, nightmare colors. And uh, I just think this is such a unique film, and um, it's not one that I'm going to watch again and again and again, um, maybe as often as some others, even some other black exploitation films that. Um, that are probably more entertaining. Um, but this is a film that this, just this past revisit made me appreciate it uh, even more than the last time. Cause the last time I did see it was in the cinema. And, um, the funny thing about that is, um, the cinema that I was going to at the time, 
they were having a lot of late night films. They would show a lot of big cult films and stuff like that. And a lot of times the audience would, would applaud at the end because these are films that people love and want to sh- celebrate them with an audience. And this was a film that at the end, no one clapped. It was kind of just, I, I would have almost liked to have taken a poll of who in the audience had actually seen the film before and knew what they were um, in for. And, it, you know, like the guy next to me who hadn't seen it and maybe heard about this film. Oh, this is the first exploitation film. And, uh, oh, I heard this is a classic. And, um, you, you know, love it or hate it, I still think it should be rightfully considered a classic. And um, I think this that Melvin really um, made a wild and uh, odd uh, sometimes perplexing film that has stood the test of time. Um, I don't know how exactly this would resonate to a modern audience now, um, not exactly to the mainstream audience, which it probably wouldn't, but in the sense of people who are looking back on this now, uh, or we're going to see this now, you know, not knowing what it was like, I really don't know. Um, I know that, uh, I guess, you know, the production of the film was very uh, rough, there were a lot of shortcomings. There were a lot of times they filmed without permits. Um, apparently, Melvin Van Peebles got gonorrhea filming possibly some unsimulated sex scenes. That's kind of, uh, I don't know if that's exactly up for debate or not, but that's kind of what I heard. Um, and I guess the, the as well as that, the argument could be made that this is kind of a self-grant, self-glamorizing um, kind of film. And, and I don't really see it as that. I just kind of see it as, you know, I, I you know Melvin didn't want to be the lead to my knowledge. So it's sort of like this could have just been anyone. And uh, I really do recommend that podcast. I, I, they're, they're put it, they put it in better words than I could, but I, I think um, above all else, as a staple of film history, and this was actually um, uh, in 2020 put in the National Film Registry as a, uh, you know, as a culturally significant film that's worthy of it. And I have to totally agree. I think this is a film that, while it won't be for everybody, and if you've listened to this and you haven't seen it, um, if you know you're about to watch a wild experimental film, uh, very non-linear, that's very surreal at times, and, and uh, at the end, it's not a big grandiose ending, it's really just how it ends, um, then I think you're in for something that, that you're, I can't guarantee you'll love or hate it, you just kind of have to watch it and experience it for yourself, um, and that's why I think the film, these kind of divisive films I find much more interesting than a film that's universally lambasted or a film that's universally loved because it makes me uh, not have any kind of um, uh, predetermined expectations going into it. And um, I can't fault anybody for not liking it, but personally, I think this is one of the best of its kind. And um, I love this film and rewatching it recently made me love it even more. 1970. I just finished directing Watermelon Man for Columbia Pictures. Everyone was calling me Mel, baby. I had to come up with my next film idea before the money guys got cold. A street brother turns revolutionary. Who's gonna want to see that? Against all odds. He's right on. You hear me? It's some destruction. A man with a dream. Who's playing the lead? I don't know yet. A little zippity doo will challenge the system. Nothing truly revolutionary is gonna come from the studio machine. He's in a world of his own. Sacrifice everything. I'll use my own bread. No, nobody uses their own money to finance a Bill, do you have money for me? And change all the rules. Look around you. No crew has ever looked like this. Side is ready, folks. And I can sing, dance, model, and act too. Hey, girl, put some clothes on. This ain't Soul Train. It's not a porno. It's a social statement. Again, contain hostility, man. 
Fleabag ain't here, motherfucker. Now we'll talk a little bit about the film Badass from 2003, written, directed, and starring uh, Mario Van Peebles as his father. And this is just about the production and making of um, Sweet Sweetback and the struggles that he gets along the way, even after completion, trying to get it seen. Um, we have uh, Mario in the lead, of course, and we follow him straight off the success of The Watermelon Man. And Columbia wanted to do a deal with him to make more films, but he has this idea of a vision of this film, of this um, film that's up against the man. And there are times in the film where uh, Mario is playing Sweet, you know, Sweetback, and uh, like like talking to him, and we start to see his frustrations. And uh, we get different, uh, a bunch of different characters along the way. It's a really good cast, by the way. We have Neil Long, Ozzy Davis, Terry Crews, Rain Wilson. I mean, David Allen Greer, T.K. Carter. We have a lot of great Adam West in the small role. We have a lot of great actors in this. And I also, I love films about making films that. Um, cult films like this i think probably the obvious comparison to come right off the bat uh even more so than ed wood would be dolomite is my name which came out a couple years ago uh which is another film that is about the making of a black exploitation film and i love that film i you know i'm I'm already a big fan of dolomite i'm a big fan of rudy ray moore and that film was so heartfelt and sincere and you could really show um eddie murphy's love for rudy ray moore as well as the phenomenal writing by two of my all-time favorite screenwriters Larry Karaszewski and Scott Alexander, the kings of the biopic, if you ask me. But this film goes into a lot of just the troubles that he went in through, just nonstop money issues, acting issues, um, not being able to do this or that because of SAG, and then even when it gets released, um, showing it in a theater. And um, this film, I, I re, you know, I think Mario has a really interesting perspective on a lot of this because it's not just glamorizing his father. Uh, he's very critical of his father in the film, especially his treatment of him as a child. The first half of the film, Melvin is very um, not exactly... Well, I guess you probably could say neglectful of, of um, Mario because he is more concerned about the film. And even when um, uh, Mario doesn't feel comfortable, you know, getting on, shaving his afro and getting in a, in a sex scene with an old woman, uh, Melvin is very persistent. He's very um, not cruel, but he's very uh, hard on them. And it takes a while for them to kind of warm up for for Melvin to kind of warm up for to his son, and I don't think the film is um, perfect. I don't even think it's that. I don't even think it's great to be honest. I think it's good. I think it's a very good film. I my big problem with the film, I think it kind of glossed over a lot of stuff. It seems like a lot of stuff that they had in the film they didn't really elaborate too much on. Like I was saying, the like in real life, uh, Mario says that his father um, threatened to take his bike away that he got if he didn't perform in the sex scene with the other woman. And that's something that they don't even really address in the film. And also, as well before, with Melvin getting gonorrhea on the set of the film, they make a quick kind of comment on it about, oh, you know, I think Rain Wilson's character says, what, is your dick hurting again or something? And that's kind of it. They don't really um, address it. They also don't really address, um, you know, him kind of screwing over Earth, Wind, and Fire and kind of having it be more his soundtrack on this. Because, I mean, the production of Sweet Sweet Back, I think, would make a really... Uh, great film um, if you had get you know if you had got 
Larry and Scott to, to write it. And I almost feel bad about even saying that because I see Mario's heart in it and his respect, but also his critique of his father, but also um, seeing just kind of him maybe kind of uh, uh, getting this new perspective on his father. Because I got to say, um, I know it's dumb to say it because Mario is his son, but there are, he is uncanny as his father. He looks exactly like him. There are times when he is fully dressed as Sweetback when it, it's, it's surreal. There's times where they cut between the real film and their recreation of the film. And besides the, you know, recreation footage not looking like a 70s film, I mean, he looks exactly like him. It's uncanny. Uh, and he's like, you know, like Melvin for Sweetback. Uh, Mario is perfect to play him. Overall, though, I think the film is very entertaining. I was never bored, and especially when it gets into the third act of the film, when it comes to trying to distribute the film after it's completed um, to a, a local cinema, and the um, popularity gained by the Black Panther movement uh, uh, and their love of the film. I loved all that. That was just so entertaining. And overall, I, I would recommend the film. I don't think it's great. It does kind of feel a bit TV movie at times. It's some of the acting in the sets. And I don't mean that it's a detriment, but it does feel a bit short of like a, of like a, um, a big commercial film. And, you know, I know that sounds kind of uh, mean to say, and I don't definitely don't mean it that way because, but I think Mario's heart is in the right place. And overall, I do think this is a, um, very interesting and good film that people should see. Uh, even if they haven't seen the, the Sweetback's Badass song, I think you could still enjoy this on your own. And um, it kind of highlights a lot of the stuff that, uh, you know, Melvin sees so important about representation and about Sweetback getting away and um, really just fighting for your art. That's really the big thing I got away from this film was fighting for your art even at the very last second, even when they have that third act when things are not going well, when the film is being shown, but still just kind of holding out there and just not giving up, just really kind of standing by it. And I think that's why um, uh, the legacy of both Melvin and Mario is held up after all this time because um, they, they really did kind of pave the way for all these other films to come and not just for black cinema, but for independent cinema as well. Just kind of going, don't let anybody tell you, you can't do this. If you want to go ahead and make this crazy movie, make this crazy movie. No one's, no one's going to, you know, don't, you know, don't, uh, don't succumb to anyone. And I think that's the heart of it. I think that's why, um, with Melvin's passing not too long ago, it really, it, it kind of, um, should be a reflection on black cinema, on independent cinema, on how many films have come out because of Sweet Sweetback, and or films that were influenced by that as well. Because I won't say that film is a be-all end-all of what would come for black cinema, but I definitely think it is a very important staple. And regardless of love or hate for the film, it should be um, uh, talked about in those circles of important films in cinema, and rightfully is preserved in the National Film Registry. So I wanted to just talk about that for a little bit. This is a very loose kind of um, discussion of the film. Not even really discussion. Me just kind of talking about it. I just wanted to, to talk about um, the film that had been on my mind because of Black History Month and and hopefully get some new eyes on it. People can probably watch a new perspective. I hope so, at least. Uh, if you haven't seen the film, then go for it. I, it's, uh, I don't think the Vinegar Syndrome Blu-ray is in print anymore, but it is available in a Melvin Van Peebles set from Criterion, so be able to find it there. Or it's probably, probably able to rent it somewhere. I don't know. Love it or hate it. Sweet Sweetback is badass. Uh, top 10 on 1958 is coming next month. So keep an eye on that, and I appreciate you listening. All the best. And cut. Perfect. Print it. Let's move on.